FOPMX Network Production. A new view from inside the truck. X-Racer to Racer and Eye to Eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's Industry Seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires and brought to you by Blenzall and Fly Racing. It's time again. We're back. It's Industry Seating. Brought to you by Pirelli Tires, Blenzall Oils, and Fly Racing. We are, uh, we're just past... The Glendale round of the series, that was round four, and most notably the first Triple Crown. I, for one, love these Triple Crown races. Uh, I, I think there's so much excitement, and I was with a lot of uh, the VIP groups that I host on the weekends. If you ever want information on that, please email me or reach out. Um, but I was with those guys all day, and you know most of them had never been to a Triple Crown, so... It's obviously a lot of conversation before the day about what we're going to see and all the changes and how the racing seems to evolve differently and results accordingly from, you know, three times the amount of points paying racing. Well, I shouldn't say points paying, but meaningful racing, as I like to say. Uh, but I, man, I, once again, I thought it absolutely delivered. Uh, I'm sure there are some riders who would probably disagree. Some guys had some really rough nights. But anytime you're going to offer me triple the amount of racing where guys are actually going for it, I'm going to take that. Uh, we'll get into a little bit of the challenges that the teams and the riders face. We'll get into what I think changed because of, of the racing format and maybe uh, what we saw what we wouldn't normally see, right? Um, but again, I want to thank all of you for, for checking this out. Feedback's been really, really great. Um, I'll be honest. I didn't know what to expect going into this thing. It's, it was a project I just thought would be fun. I didn't have high expectations. I'm, I'm not a, you know, a journalism professional or a broadcast professional or any of that, right? I'm just a former racer that I love the sport. I love talking about it. Uh, Steve Mathis and Jason Wigand, a bunch of us, that's just what we were passionate about. And, uh, you know, we found this Pulpamex niche, and we have a lot of people that uh, pay attention to what we say, which is probably a, a silly thing, right? We, we, we're around it a lot, and we have a lot of insight, I think, to uh, the background of the sport where a lot of people don't, uh, but that doesn't mean we're always right. Uh, I, I'm very upfront about that, as my opinion doesn't have to be the only one. You know, I, I, see, the way th I see things the way that I see them, and of course, Steve sees the things the way he sees them. And a lot of times those fly in the face of each other, which, uh, you know, is pretty fun. I think people enjoy to see both sides of the coin between us two. And, uh, that's what makes it interesting. You know, I, every single weekend people ask me like, how do you guys, how can you possibly argue that much and still be such good friends? And I don't know, it's just a unique, uh, kind of situation because we don't take it personally. Most of the time, um, we can argue and maybe not ever agree, but we're going to respect each other's opinions. And, uh, I mean, we have a, you know, 20 year friendship. So we know at the end of the day, like who cares if we disagree on stupid stuff, um, we, we're still there for each other and we have each other's back and all that. So, um, that's the cool thing about racing and really in all sports is 
there's a lot of different ways to see the same thing. You know, perspectives can vary and, you know, it's that, uh, age old thing where you show this show a group of people, the same exact, uh, event. And you have a lot of different ways that people interpreted what happened and, and people see the exactly the same thing in many different ways. And that's no different for a lot of these podcasts and shows. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm super into, uh, stick and ball sports football, most notably. And, you know, so I'm super locked into the, the Super Bowl right now coming up next weekend after Oakland and, uh, between, you know, all the craziness of moto and then the Super Bowl coming up, I've, I'm fully entertained. It's it's a great time to be a sports fan. So uh, as far as Glendale goes, again, I thought the Triple Crown absolutely delivered. I, I love the format. Um, but what I was leading into, you know, with the, the troubles for the teams and riders, it is so much more work for the teams to prepare for these Triple Crowns. Uh, you know, even with, uh, you know, a shorter main event, a 10-minute main event that they're running three times, you know, every time these guys go out, you know, there's, they put so much strain on the bike. They need a new clutch and they need, you know, these mechanics need to make sure that everything is going to work on the bike. And, and if God forbid they get in a crash, which man, we saw a lot of that over the weekend, uh, they have to have time to repair the bike and these red flag situations. What if the bikes, you know, damaged in the, in the red flag crash, are they going to be able to fix it on the starting line? And that was a unique situation we saw with Zach Osborne this weekend, which we'll get into, uh, not to mention all, you know, the added parts budget, you know, to, to have the, the bike ready that many times there, there are more parts used. Um, what if you can't get your bike down there again for the, and you miss one of those races, that's brutal for your season long point standings that happened to Chad Reed last year. They missed a main event because he, they had an engine problem and there wasn't time to fix it. So there's a lot of wrinkles to it. Um, I think the riders, Biggest one is maybe on a safety level. Uh, they get stressed a little bit on having to do that many starts. You know, maybe this weekend start was a little faster. That could certainly uh, scare them a little bit as far as, hey, I got to do this three times where in the main, you know, that main event where everybody's all jammed together, all the best talent, uh, they only have to do it once. So we certainly saw some big get-offs on the start this weekend. Uh, that that crash with Justin Bogle was was particularly scary. Um, if you guys watched it on the, on TV, you saw how deep Adam Cincerillo pushed into that first turn. And, uh, I don't think he meant to, I think he was trying to walk the whole shot down and, and couldn't stop and slid because that, that flat corner doesn't really leave a lot of room or a lot of, a lot of ways to get traction to, to turn left if you come in hot. So it was unfortunate for Justin Bogle. I, I hated to see it as a, you know, he's a fly racing rider and obviously, races for the team that I'm, I'm affiliated with and that I actually raced for for six years. So that was a bummer. Um, I know he went to go get checked out after the event. Um, obviously it, uh, you know, looked like he was, looked like he was unconscious to me, uh, basically hit head first and, uh, you, you just hate to see stuff like that happen. So let's hope for the best for him. Let's hope it's uh, a quick return because he's had a really rough go this season. It just doesn't seem like anything can go right for him. And uh, he, he needs a little luck to go his way. Really likable kid, someone I've got to know a, a lot better over the last couple of years that I didn't have any relationship with at all. And uh, I'm cheering for him to get back out there and do something in, uh, in this 2020 season. So, uh, you know, the, the Triple Crown overall, as I was mentioning, it's good and bad, right? You, get, you ask a lot of different people their opinion, and, and I mentioned that the riders – 
are, I think have misgivings about it. I think it's really tough on them to race three times versus one meaningful one mechanics. I think hate it because of the extra work and the stress it puts on them. But let's be real. You know, I think that most decisions have to be made with the fans, uh, their, you know, how it's going to affect them. I, I think that's the number one challenge and the number one task we have in this sport is to attract new and more fans, give, you know, supercross fans, the, the best bang for their buck, give them the best show that we have for, you know, three plus hours on TV. We need to make sure we're absolutely giving them everything we can on that level, because that's how we're going to make this sport grow. And if, listen, if it's harder, it's harder on the teams, harder on the riders. I get it. It's, no one's saying that's awesome, but I think in the end, having the best show and delivering the best overall product should supersede everything else. And that that's coming from me. Who's been on both sides of the coin. I've been a rider. I'm I've now retired, you know, seven years. So I, I have a little bit of a unique perspective from all of these, um, different viewpoints. And I still feel that having a few of these triple crowns really shakes things up. It really adds a different wrinkle to the series and I'm all for it. I'm not saying we have to go to, you know, six, eight, ten of these triple crowns. I don't I think that's probably asking too much right now of the the teams. But I think I hope these at least three of these are here to stay. Um just sitting in the stands, I know my excitement level is higher for these triple crowns than a, a typical supercross night. And that's what we're all looking for. So I just wanted to get my opinion out there on that. Um I really hope that the teams don't push back so hard that these go away. I hope they're they're here to stay. So 250 class, obviously, last weekend of day two was drama-filled. The Ferrandis, Christian Craig, Jet Lawrence saga, right? We just That was craziness, and I haven't heard booing like that in a really, really long time. And I don't know that I really agreed with that booing. Um, but, hey, you, you spend your money, you go to the race within reason. And that, that's a key point, within reason – you have the you have the right, in my opinion, to share your opinion. And boy, did they! <laughs> Those uh, Anaheim fans were not pumped on Dylan Ferrandis leaving Anaheim too. And I think you have to draw a hard line there, though, of what's appropriate and what's not. Um, you know, DMing and emailing death threats or even just vulgar comments probably not. I don't think that's really appropriate or necessary or it really accomplishes anything. But booing, uh, you get your point across. You know, if it maybe hurt his feelings, booing a little bit, but so what, right? I'm sure Christian Craig's Christian Craig's feelings were pretty hurt too. Uh, I just I don't like where it gets super ugly in sports. Uh, we have to realize these guys are deep down; they're all pretty good people, and they're out there risking their lives for a sport we all love and we all participate in. There's no way you can convince me that Dylan Ferrandis was trying to hurt anybody or or do anything malicious. That's just not how I see it. I think he just made a really poor choice. And, uh, I'm glad the booze didn't rain down super bad in Glendale. Anyway, I heard a few, but it wasn't, it wasn't anything like Anaheim two. So that's good. Um, but to me, this, this Anaheim two night was, it was kind of a reset for the series a little bit, which I was really hoping for. I want to, I want a really exciting series all the way down the stretch. And Austin Forkner, this was a big night for him. This night was all about him. And the first two main events, he took it to him, made it happen. He won him. Um, wasn't really all that contested. And that's exactly what he needed. He needed a night like Glendale to get back into this thing. Fortunately for him, 
hit the points leader, Justin Cooper, had an awful night. He was able to salvage it a little bit. Uh, he didn't even lose a red plate. So there is that argument of like, hey, man, if that, those were individual paying points-paying main events, Justin Cooper would have lost a ton of points there. I get that. But, hey, this is the format we have. So let's just deal with you know the format we have, right? So for Forkner, he went from 22 points down to 10 points down. That's that's huge. That is such a such a outward picture changing event. You know, you get the points down to less than 10 in a class like the 250 class. Anything can happen. Uh, I thought Forkner did a, a great job of mentally rebounding and just going out and riding loose and and going to win the race. Right? What else can you control other than winning the race? Uh, things are going to happen behind you. That's out of your control. Obviously we said Justin Cooper had a pretty horrific night. So he gave a bunch of points back. Dylan Ferrandis actually had a pretty solid night. He just is still suffering from the poor starts. I mean, his, I don't know what, you know, the problem is if it's just reflexes or if he's got some sort of setting with the bike that makes it a little more difficult. I, I kind of doubt that. I think it's just a, a technique thing and he's just not as good of a starter as some of these guys. But, uh, you know, he's, he's right there. Second place in points, pretty solid night. Um, he didn't have anything really for Forkner as far as an overall for the night, especially putting himself behind the eight ball on the, on the opening laps. But all these guys are, are right in there for the title and it's going to be come down to those three. I think we're all pretty aware of that, but I love it, man. I will take a championship fight coming down at the end, because if you look at the way this schedule plays out, we're going to take a break here in a couple weeks from this uh, this West Coast series. We go to Oakland next week, and then we go to San Diego on February 8th, and then uh, we get a break. Uh, they're going to have time off to reflect. They're going to do some outdoor testing is what they're going to do, and they're going to get prepared for Hangtown. But if this thing stays bunched up like this, we're going to have big drama when we go back west, and I am all about that. So I, for one, hope that uh, – Forkner can reel this thing in and, and all these, all three of these guys at least just stay on their bikes the next two rounds. And I hope the points tighten up. You know, if we could leave San Diego with all three of these guys within 10 points, I, I think that really shapes up for some, for some drama, especially if we get into these East West rounds, get into these shootouts and Oh boy, anything can happen. Um, that's, that's really what I'm hoping for. You know, I, you can tell I'm just purely a fan now because I don't, <laughs> I sound I don't sound like a racer anymore because the racer in me will be like, man, I would love that for, you know, big points lead and no drama and all that as one of these guys. But as a fan, I want, I want to, when the gates are drop, all hell to break loose, to be frank. So, uh, yeah, great night in Glendale. Justin Cooper, I think was, had to be disappointed yet. He did salvage that last, uh, that last main event there, um, helped his overall significantly because he could have given away a lot of points. And he kept it somewhat reasonable, right? If, if he had done something stupid in that last main event and hit, you know, gotten 12th overall or something crazy, that would have, that would have hurt. That would have been a, a pretty rough night for him. Um, but overall he salvaged what he could, what still wasn't good. But, uh, yeah, like I said, for us, for all of you listening, for me, I think it's awesome. I, I want, I live for the, I live for the drama and the, and the, yeah, competition really, right? I just want close racing. So Christian Craig, uh, man, that guy, uh, he's going to be off for a couple weeks now. He'll be, you know, he'll come back after the break. Uh, he's got a boxer's fracture, uh, which is in your hand on the outside of your hand. For those of you who don't know. Um, so he'll be, he won't be back until after the break, but, uh, rough deal. I mean, that guy, 
I don't know what's going on with him, but if you look at just a talent and skill, you wonder how he's not on the podium every single weekend, but I don't know if it's just mental or if he's just in the wrong place at the right time or the wrong time. Obviously Dylan Fernandez helped out with that at, uh, at a two, but he just is having a really tough time over the last few years, kind of putting it all together. Uh, but I, I tell you what, when I watch him ride in time qualifying, especially when he's, you know, riding loose and pressure free, I don't know that there's a better looking style on the racetrack than him. And, and that's going through the 450. That's going, that's everybody, right? I just don't know that you can do it much cleaner or, uh, in, in better body positioning and everything than Christian Craig does it. So I don't know what else to say. I don't know if he's ever going to be able to just put it all together because if you watch him ride, the first thing you think is how is this guy not winning races? How is he not absolutely a title contender? And he was, if you go back to when he was battling with Cooper Webb and Joey Savacci, uh, what has it been four or five years ago, he was a title contender. He was right there. So we know he's got it in him. I just don't know what it's going to take, uh, if it's mental or, or what the deal is for him to ever be able to put that together for a whole series and, and be the dominant force that I, I really think he could be talent wise. Uh, any trying to think of anything else notable for the two fifty guys, um, it's a pretty chaotic night. Lots of crashes for those guys. Uh, I thought Derek Drake was really impressive in that second main event. Uh, he led for a long time and, and you know, a lot of that was kind of just the byproduct of the start. He got out, got out there and got out of trouble and, uh, just rode solid laps. You know, and the only reason I, I kind of hesitate is cause I watched him in the, in the third main event and he got a bad start and he really wasn't able to do anything. You know, he's battling with uh, Costello and, uh, Wageman and those guys. So I struggle to say, Oh yeah, Derek Drake's, uh, just, you know, all he needs to start to be a contender because when I watch him back there, he wasn't doing anything with those guys where if you put Cooper or, you know, any of the, the real contenders back there, Christian Craig, even they would blow by those guys immediately and go to the front. So great ride in the second main event, Drake. I don't want it to sound like a negative. Um, it just wasn't, uh, I was, I was kind of waiting to see what he would do with the third one. And then before I put a stamp on it, like, Hey man, there may be something here. Uh, we need to talk about heart raft a little bit. Another strong ride from him. <laughs> it was funny to watch the third main event with him. And I think he was doing a bit of points counting, uh, because he absolutely let Ferrandis and, uh, Forkner go by. He didn't even try to, didn't even try to hold him up at all. So I think he knew what the points were. I think he knew Justin Cooper was pretty out of it. And really, as long as he was within touch of the other guys, uh, he had a podium coming his way. So um, <laughs> the trouble with that is is that uh, Moseman came up and, uh, and made it happen and got that third place. So I, I think he was counting the points. Maybe he was just – maybe he, you know, had – overdone it, overcooked it. And his heart rate was too high. I'm, I'm kind of speculating as to what he was doing, but if you go back and watch that third main event, I haven't watched on TV yet, but in person, I mean, there's, it was really, there's no other way to see it. He he absolutely let those guys by just kind of rolled around and let him go. And then, uh, kind of picked his pace back up and kind of followed him. But it was interesting to watch. I even texted, uh, you know, Mathis and these guys like, you know, what, what the heck is heart doing? He's in second and he just completely let those guys go. So, uh, that's the little nuances with the triple crown. Sometimes you wonder if they're, if they're doing a little bit of, uh, doing some math while they're out on the racetrack, or if he just, he, maybe he didn't feel comfortable. Maybe he was, 
he was feeling the fatigue of a third main event. That's always something that you have to think about with these triple crowns is he could have just been tired. He could have just been like, there's no way that I'm going to hold these two guys off for the next eight minutes. So just, just pass me now, make my life a little easier. So, uh, I'm not sure if Mathis or anybody talked to him. That would be an interesting question to pose to him. Um, I'll have to do a little bit of digging there and see what, what the deal was there. Um, but yeah, I mean, most men and, and uh, a bunch of guys flashed a little bit. Um, but you know, to be fair, they don't really have anything for, uh, for those top three, you know, even Alex Martin, more struggles in the whoops, you know, he, he rides great everywhere else, but the whoops are, it's just a, it's a liability for him. I mean, he, if Christian Craig or any of the, those guys, those type guys come up anywhere near him, they just immediately go by him. So if he wants to be anywhere near the podium, he's either going to need a racetrack that is conducive to, you know, his, his skill set, which is basically jumping through the whoops or minimizing that damage or, uh, they're gonna have to figure something out in the whoops would be the, the other alternative. But yeah, that's pretty much what I had for the 250 class. Uh, let's just hope for some more tight racing and, and let's hope for this championship being decided, uh, you know, at the, at the last event there in, uh, in Salt Lake. 450 guys, uh, man, what a night for Ken Roxon. Unreal. Um, I would, did, I expected him to win. I predicted him to win. So I'll start there. Uh, we do our fly racing radio show in the pits every five, uh, usually at 5 PM, depending on the schedule at the fly racing activation area. If you're at a race this year, please come check it out. We have a good time talk for, you know, 30 minutes. It's after practice. So we, we kind of discuss what we saw and, uh, I picked Kenny to win this thing. So I'll toot my own horn a little bit there. And, after that first main event, I wasn't sure though, because, uh, Eli seemed to have a little bit of a, a pace edge over him. He just couldn't kind of couldn't make a pass. So I wasn't sure if Eli would be able to kind of get out front of him or make a pass earlier in, in these second, third main events and, uh, steal this overall kind of like what we saw at a two, but you've got to get, give Kenny a lot of confidence here. Well, I shouldn't say we have to give him confidence. I think he gained a lot of confidence with the way he was able to dispose of Eli in, in the second, third main events. So it's something I made a note of. Um, was he able to kind of get the monkey off his back, you know, mentally of, of Eli? Uh, I, I do think Eli will win some more races. I think that's pretty obvious. But I think there's been this, this uh, scenario where if Eli's right behind Kenny – it's almost a given that he's going to go by him. It's like Eli has just a little bit more speed and it's only a matter of time. And if that happens enough, it starts to wear on the, you know, the slower guy like Kenny in, the, in that scenario. And, and it feeds the other way for Eli, right? You gain confidence and lose confidence. I wonder how much that fed in for Kenny as far as gaining confidence over, you know, being able to hold off at an Eli Tomac attack, right? So we'll have to see that'll play out over the next few weeks. But it was something I noticed is like, hey, man, he doesn't look he doesn't look intimidated by UI speed, especially in these second, third main events. So really good news for Kenny. Uh, he, he keeps the red plate. He extends his points lead. And damn, he was impressive. Start to finish, rock solid, good in the whoops, good on the starts. I mean, he, he just had it all figured out. And uh, yeah, that's how you win all all three of these things, right? It's just uh, you have it have it dialed. It was his night, period. Um, he was, he was good from start to finish. Um, he is going to be your, uh, 
your power ranking leader. I know you're all super, super wrapped up in these power rankings, right? Um, but I mean, he was just, just crazy good. I mean, he was, he was the man on, on, uh, on Saturday night and he's got the red plate and he had the red plate leaving, leaving a two and he's got it now with a bigger lead. Uh, Eli Tomac, I mean, solid night, right? Not bad. Uh, I'm sure he's probably a little disappointed that he couldn't do anything with, um, with Ken Roxon, sorry. And, uh, you know, I think when he's looking at his night overall, he's got to be somewhat okay with this because this was um, certainly a, a step forward from anything we've seen in January from him, right? So this is still the best January he's had. This is still the closest to the points lead in January he's been. And if you're trying to fix what's the problem has been in recent, in past years, it's don't put yourself in such a hole, be there when you, when you get into your rhythm, when you catch fire midway through the season, don't be 30 points down or even 20, right. And just you're in this hole looking up and you've got, you've got to be perfect down the stretch. You just put so much pressure on yourself that you can't make a mistake. Don't do that to yourself, right? You don't have to win every race. I think Glendale was a good example that you don't have to win. Just don't crash out trying, you know, be willing to take a, a second place on the night. If, if Kenny's just on a different level and, and that's kind of what he did. I'm sure it was difficult to swallow, but like I said, this is the closest to the points lead he has been in years maybe ever, I think ever for the 450 class in January. Um, so I think that's the silver lining for him. You just, you just, uh, look at a big picture and say, Hey man, we're, we're good. I'm, I'm setting myself for setting myself up to look damn good come may. Okay. Whether that happens or not, we'll see. But I think that's how he has to leave Glendale is with that, that in mind. I have, uh, I have Cooper Webb number three and I was a little torn on this. I went back and forth with him with, uh, Webb and Anderson for three and Anderson beat Webb last night. But I'll tell you the reason I have Webb three is because I, I put a lot of weight on that horrible ride in St. Louis that cost him a ton of points. And if you look at Webb's finishes, he would be right there. Otherwise, uh, he would be, uh, what three, if you take that away, it would have been three, four, three. Um, then you have that 12th for St. Louis in there, which is pretty ugly. And it makes it look a little worse on paper as far as points wise, but I, I don't, put any stock into that as far as a, you know, where is Cooper Webb in 2020 type deal? I mean, he was crazy sick and his riding reflected that and every other ride has been way better. So let's just take that at face value. But I think the way Cooper Webb is able to manage championships, I think, uh, I think that earns him this third place spot, just a touch over Jason Anderson. And and you could convince me otherwise, I, I don't think there's, there's much difference there. Um, but the reigning champion probably weighs the heaviest on this, um, to, to give him that third place nod. Right. And it doesn't matter, right? This is all going to change and this is all fluid. We'll go for Webb for three here. Jason Anderson, four, as I mentioned, he's, uh, he's got two podiums so far out of four races. That's pretty impressive. The one question I have for Jason Anderson is, can he find the pace to win races? And I don't know. I, he's, he's close, right? He's, he's even led. He led last night in Glendale. He just didn't have that extra half a percent 
that it's going to take to win one of these things because whether it's Kenny, whether it's Tomac, um, he's got to worry about Cincerillo. He's got to worry about Osborne. He's got to worry about Webb. Uh, there are a bunch of these guys that can all win. So he's going to have to be better than all those guys, or he's going to have to sprint off to a huge lead early in the race and, and make life easier on himself. So great job. He's better than I expected. I'll be very transparent on that on the front end and, uh, just say that he's been better than I expected on the front end of this season. Uh, I was very, I don't think down is the right word. I, I just didn't expect a lot. I thought he would be, uh, you know, I wondered about his motivation. I wonder about his preparation, but he's been, he's been rock solid. Um, it's not the January of 2018 where he was just racking up wins and, and looked to be the best guy in the sport. Uh, but, but solid nonetheless. So good season from him. Um, he's, he's there, he's hanging around. Right. And, uh, if things go haywire for a few of these guys, anything's possible. So we'll, uh, we'll just keep an eye on Anderson's progress as this thing rolls on. Like I said, he's already got two podiums out of four. So that's pretty strong. Adam Cincerillo, poor guy. I have him five and Man, he had a, he had a big get off last night in that final one DNF that that last uh, triple crown race, and he benefited from you know three scores counting towards your overall, or else it would have looked a lot uglier. He would have got a DNF instead of uh, what he did end up for his overall finish. Um, so certainly was beneficial for him. He ended up uh, eighth overall. So instead of a DNF, he gets an eighth. That certainly helped. But, man, I was scared he was hurt. And anybody who watched that crash probably felt the same way. He landed on his on his butt, and I was scared he was going to hit his head there. Um, and he laid there for a long time. He didn't want any part of getting up quick. And uh, I was just happy to see the kid that he's okay. He, he injects so much energy and life into the sport and into that 450 class. And I'm, I'm such a Cincerillo fan. So I was happy to see him. Um, just, you know, able to, to move on with this series. But having said that, this was my question with AC in his rookie year, because leaving Anaheim one, um, leaving St. Louis, you had guys like Mathis and we, and they were just overwhelmed by Cincerillo because he's, he's the fastest every time in, in time qualifying. And he did it again this weekend. He is so fast in this one lap sample size. My question was, can he get through 17 rounds without some DNFs in there that ruin a series? I deep down, I didn't think he could. I've just, I've been watching this kid race his whole life. You know, we're both Florida born and raised. And I just didn't think he would be able to, in his rookie season, be able to avoid that with the pace he's going. And that, and that's a big part of the equation that elite over the top, crazy balls pace usually comes with, uh, comes with a price to pay. Not always, right? Not, not everybody has to pay a big price to do it. We've seen the the legends of the sport be able to maintain that speed over and over without it, but not everybody can do that. And, and Adam fell victim to that in that final main event. And, uh, that's the kind of stuff where I don't think a title is realistic, realistic in this first season. I just think you're going to have a few of those, few of those nights in there where it just slips away from him or he, you know, just makes a, a big mistake that costs him too many points to rebound from. But I still have him at five. Um, I still think he's a powerhouse in this 450 class. 
it's just, it's going to be a learning year, I think overall. And, uh, make no mistake though, his future is super bright. I mean, this kid, this kid has every tool in the arsenal to, to go down with a lot of wins in this 450 class. So number six, I have Justin Barsha falling all the way to six. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm sure he's probably not thrilled to hear that. You know, he's still second place in points. I believe he's second or third. Uh, I should know that. Uh, but he's right there either way. Um, he is third. So my apologies there. He, he fell behind Eli Tomac, <clears throat> but to fall to six was really just indicative of kind of the night he had. And if you look at his scores from last night, which were six, eight, seven, oh man, he's probably, he'd be pissed if he heard this, but I think that's what you're going to see from him more times than not down the stretch of the season. That's what we've seen from him the last few years is why I say that. It's not that I don't like Barsha. You know, I like Barsha just fine. But I have to be a realist, and I think that sixth place is going to find him more often than not. Uh, I don't think he's better than Tomac. I don't think he's better than Roxon. I don't think he's better than Cooper Webb. I don't think he's better than Jason Anderson. And from what I've seen speed-wise, I think Cincerillo has a – a speed edge over him. So to say he's a, a fifth or sixth or seventh place guy, isn't crazy talk, you know, even being third in points. I don't think that I'm stepping out too far to have him sixth. Um, and he really, he's the only one that can do anything about it. So we'll see what he does, uh, the rest of the season to, uh, to prove me wrong. I have Blake Baggett at seven. Maybe I'm a little biased there, but I, I don't think so. Um, it was kind of coulda, woulda, shoulda last night for him. Uh, crashes really kept him off his game. That second main event was pretty solid. His, uh, his scores were, uh, what? 12, four something. I should, I should know that, but, uh, they were basically marred by two crashes. The last one, <laughs> uh, that was a talking point of the night for a lot of people because he was involved with a crash with Zach Osborne and, um, you know, these red flags, caused a lot of drama and chaos for these guys to get back into the race where there's a rule. Well, there's a rule that says in the 450 class, and I'm sure it's 250 as well. If you are, if there's a red flag and there's a restart, you cannot leave the mandated starting area to do repairs. They have to be done right in that starting area that everybody's quarantined into. So when Osborne was involved in that crash, they, left that starting area from, okay. then this is all hearsay, right? I wasn't down there, but I was told by multiple people at minimum that they left the starting area to do repairs. And that's, that's a violation of the rules. We've seen other people disallowed from racing. Chad Reed last night would basically didn't even try to race because the bike, they needed to do repairs and they couldn't do them on the, on the spot. We've seen it happen to Ryan Dungey. Um, but so from, the accounts I'm hearing that were down on the floor and other people that would know how the rules work, he shouldn't have been been allowed to line back up. This is Zach Osborne. Shouldn't have been allowed to line back up for that last uh, main event after the red flag. Uh, He was allowed, so maybe we'll get some clarity from uh, the AMA officials on why they allowed that. But he was allowed to line back up. Of course, he grabs a great start, right? And then is involved in a crash with Blake Baggett. So... It ruins Blake, Blake Baggett's final main event. Obviously ruins Osborne as well. Um, but yeah, it was. Uh, I know 
Blake was pretty pissed. Um, you know, he, he felt like he could have got in there and, and he would have ended up probably getting a top five on the night, but instead he gets in his second out of second crash out of three races and his overall is drops back to 10th. Uh, just a, just a bad deal for everybody involved, but we'll see how that all shakes out. We'll get some more information. Maybe by the time this, uh, racer X race review comes out, uh, we'll do, we'll record that tonight. Maybe Steve and, and Weege will have some more insight on that, but I, I can promise you that there were a lot of pissed off people after the main event that, uh, that Zach was allowed to race that final one. Not me. I don't really care. I want to watch racing, but, uh, people that were affected negatively, people that were disallowed from racing, in the past because of that rule, we're not happy that he was out there. So enough about that. Um, but Baggett, I, I, I have seven simply because he was so fast. He should have been much, much better than that. Um, I think he should have been top five overall in the night, but, uh, yeah, just things didn't go his way. I have Osborne at eight and you could make an argument that maybe Brayton should be ahead of him or even Mookie at this point. I'm going to leave Osborne there and just write this race off. If you look at the last two weeks, he went five, four, and I'm going to weigh those a little bit more heavily that he also wears fly racing and I like fly racing. So yeah, there's just that too. And you know what? This is my list and I can do what I want. I could put him number one and all you guys would could just yell at me, but I'm not, I'm going to try to keep it real a little bit. Um, but it's really more just what I think Zach's capable of. He's going to have crashes like this. <laughs> he he was able to minimize those on the 250, but on the 450, things happen a little bit faster and, and mistakes are more costly. And, uh, I think he's learning that the hard way. So he's had some DNFs in there. He had a, just a horrific night in uh, Glendale, probably a night he'd want to forget. So we'll see what he does moving forward, but I think the speed is there and his starts are really great. So I think that's going to line him up for success, uh, moving forward. I have Brayton at nine and, and he might, should probably be eight, but you know, his scores were seven, seven, nine, and he also wears fly racing. That's great. But, uh, I think we all maybe expected more from Justin Brayton at the, at these triple crown events. I mean, he, he kind of made a name for himself at these going back to Atlanta, Atlanta triple crown. He was so good. He won one of them. He just didn't have, he didn't have next level speed and, uh, he and the next rider, uh, in the triple crown, I felt the same way. Neither of them had next level speed that was going to really separate themselves at a triple crown. And, and that's what I expected, I guess, is the bigger point. I, I really thought he and Malcolm Stewart could win one of these triple crown individual races. I really thought it was possible. I, I almost kind of expected it or maybe, maybe not win, but top three, those guys have, they have, they're great starters. They have great speed, and I thought that they would have had these Triple Crown events circled on their calendar as a, a, a really, really enticing opportunity to put a, an, a result on the board, and they probably did, right? It doesn't always go to plan, but uh, yeah, I just felt like it was a missed opportunity for both of them. Um, 779 isn't terrible for Brayton, but yeah, like I said, I just expected a little bit more. Talking about Mookie, I have him rounding out the top 10 of the power ranking, um, he was pretty good. If you look at it, you know, it's just that middle main event. He crashed in the whoops and, uh, that ruined his night. So his scores were four, 14, six, and the 14 really screws everything up. Right. So he, he should have been in the mix. And I, I just wanted to see something that would, you know, get people out of their seats, Mookie leading laps or, or battling for the lead or whatever. 
because I felt like the track with those whoops kind of created an opportunity for him to do that and, and really show what he's got. And, and I don't know what it is about this year. If I don't know if he's intentionally being a little bit more cautious, that's, uh, something I'm curious about. And, and I don't really talk to him, you know, I, I'll say hi to him, but I don't, I don't ask him in depth questions, but I, I wonder if he's playing it a little bit more cautious to try to add some longevity to the series because he only raced two races last year, you know? So, um, I'm sure that's not what he's looking for out of a series. And maybe he realized that he's going to have to take less chances, uh, if he wants to stick around for an entire series. So we'll see. I, I'm, I'd be lying though. If I thought that four fourteen six is what, you know, he would leave the night with, um, the four is pretty good, right? The first, the first one's pretty good. I, I should be a little bit easier on him there. Um, but I, I thought he would maybe be like, uh, if I had to draw it up, I was thinking something like a five, three, six, something like that, you know, uh, maybe he would suffer a little bit more in the last one. If he really went balls out in the, in the second one, <clears throat> but he's hanging around, you know, we want these guys to stay in the series, not get hurt. So if I had to choose between 17 rounds of Mookie or three rounds of, you know, crazy balls, fast Mookie, I'll choose the 17 rounds. Cause I, I want everybody to stick around. I want the best series possible. So that's a triple crown rankings. Uh, leaving round four, not a lot of change there. Um, but yeah, I think the most interesting dynamic is what happens with, uh, with Webb. Uh, I know he's probably looking to try to win after kind of being around Alden Baker and, and learning what I've learned over the years. I think he's going to be trying to turn up the heat to win some races. You don't want these guys of Tomac and rocks and these guys to build up a lead a, or too much confidence B. So his, his stable of guys, you know, Anderson, um, Osborne and Webb, he's going to be, he's going to be pushing these guys like, guys, we got to win. We've got to turn the tide. We've got to change the the momentum of this thing. And we've got to get back to the front. So look for that. And, and we'll see if they can do that. The one note I had on Webb, I forgot to mention when I was talking about him earlier, his whoops, man, he it's it's rough. He gets past there pretty consistently week in and week out. And it's something I've, I've talked about. I talked about the fly racing radio show. I've talked about it with Chris Kiefer, similarly to Marvin Muskan. It's a liability. I mean, plain and simple tracks like Glendale where you couldn't jump the whoops fast. There was just no way to jump them and be competitive. He suffers Alex Martin, same thing. Marvin Muskan would have suffered. Uh, Zach Osborne suffered a little bit there too. Uh, those nights, it's really difficult on those guys because they're capable of racing against guys like Eli Tomac and Ken Roxon and Jason Anderson and guys that hit the whoops really fast. Blake Baggett's in there. Malcolm Stewart's in there. Justin Brayton's in there. For those guys, Adam Cincerillo's in there. Those guys, the whoops aren't a liability. They can hit them as fast as, you know, anybody on earth, period, bar none, right? So if you have an area on the track where it's a known liability that's tough to deal with and expect to win several races. So I know Cooper Webb made mention that that was a big priority in this off season to get better in the whoops. It doesn't seem like they've really accomplished the goal they set out for. Maybe they are a little better, but he hasn't erased the liability. I can promise you that because anybody who was watching him specifically last night, you saw him get passed over and over and over. And I'm not talking about, Eli Tomac passing him. I'm talking about Martin Davalos passing him there. 
Uh, I'm talking about guys that he thinks and, and he knows he should be beating are passing him in the whoops. So it's just a wrinkle to keep your eye on. It's not a new wrinkle for me. It's something I've been harping on for over a year, but it's still a factor in these races. So just something to watch as we go down the stretch. Want to talk about uh, sponsors a little bit. Pirelli Tires, as I mentioned, um, we're inching closer and closer to MXGP season. And you know what that means. That means Pirelli dominates again. Uh, they are a big part of the uh, JGRMX team for 2020. Obviously, JGRMX is struggling a bit with injuries and uh, trying to get back to the level they're capable of. But, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a longtime Pirelli guy. I think my first time using Pirellis was in 1998, as I've mentioned. But uh, I, I love to see some of these brands get back into racing. We lost a few tire brands over the years. You remember Bridgestone used to win everything. They left. They, they took their money and went, went into road racing. They went MotoGP racing. Uh, Michelin Tires, they left as well, right? They, they decided to put their marketing dollars in other places. Now they are the MotoGP tire, right? So it's like... It's like MotoGP steals all the motocross money, right? If you want to you break it down that simply. But Pirelli's made a big commitment to come back, and that's the big point. Um, yeah, okay, they haven't gone out and signed Eli Tomac and Ken Roxon. I understand that. But they are getting back into racing, and they do have those caliber of riders in Europe. You know, uh, HRC Honda, they use Pirelli in Europe. Cowie team, they use Pirelli in Europe. Jeffrey Hurlings, he uses Pirelli in Europe. Antonio Cairoli, they use Pirelli in Europe. So I like to dispel the myth a little bit that <laughs> these tires are not, you know, winning capable. Because I hear that. I'm like, ah, it's got to be, you know, if you're not on a Dunlop, you can't win or whatever. Well, you if you tell that to somebody in Europe that's winning world championships, they look at you like your head's on sideways. So that's, that's where they, you know, Pirelli comes into this thing is trying to turn the tide and get, get some race wins over here. I want to talk about Blenzol Oils. They, uh, they just launched their website. That's exciting. Uh, and they're offering 10% off cases of oil right now. So please check that out, Blenzol.com. And uh, Buddy David over there is, is getting Blenzol back up and running. Uh, they have got their Instagram. It's at Blenzol. So they're, they're basically just trying to crank this engine back up. For those of you who've been around for more, you know, if you're not a millennial, you'll know Blenzol from, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s. They were the name in oils, period. Bar none, they were the brand. Um, so check them out. They're, you're going to see more and more of Blenzol. We're, it's, you know, if nothing else, I'm going to be putting it in your face week in and week out. And then where would my life be without fly racing? I would probably be living under a, uh, an overpass somewhere. That's probably where I'd end up. Uh, be some cold nights. But, um, I'd probably have more free time. I don't have a lot of free time right now. I work a lot. Um, but that's okay. I, I, it's in moto. Like it could be a lot worse. I could be doing something I hate, but, uh, I mean, fly racing is, it's such a great brand and there are other great brands too. Our competitors, I, I think our competitors build some great products, but my heart and soul is in fly racing. And if you want to be a part of a, a brand that's family, all passionate enthusiasts and we're trying to build the safest, most performance minded products on the market. Uh, I would invite you to try fly racing. If, if you've never tried it, if you're unfamiliar with the products, you probably heard all of us talking about it. I would ask you just give it a try one time, just as a favor to me, go out and try your next, go buy the light set of gear, go buy the Evo set of gear, buy a formula helmet, 
uh, I promise you that you will not be disappointed. Uh, if you do, I will owe you an apology and, and I'll even give it to you in person because I believe in, in what we're doing that much, uh, that I would have no problem, you know, listening to you tell me exactly what was wrong in person. And, and I'd probably learn something. So I'd probably ask for that, uh, that feedback anyway, but I, want, I just, for all the sponsors that are making this podcast happen, I, I want to say thank you. Uh, this is really fun for me. I'm learning a lot, right? I, I don't have a a communications or broadcast background. This is, I'm just winging it every single Sunday. I had, <laughs> I had to go take a nap here before this podcast because I was tired, man. I would get done with the race and my flights at 6am and fly all the way back home. And the whole thing on my mind, the whole time on, on Sunday flying back is this industry seating podcast. So thank you to you for listening to it. If parts of it are hard to listen to, and I'm wandering in and out of subjects and topics, that's my bad, right? I didn't, I don't have formal training for this. I just want it to be fun. Um, I listen to a ton of podcasts myself and I try to learn. I, I, you know, I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to be a a manager for fly racing. When I stopped racing, I had no, no idea what I was doing. If, if you only knew how scared I was the, after the first, my first week of being in Boise, Idaho by myself, doing a job that I had no clue how to do, Uh, I don't know that I could put that feeling into words. It was complete and utter fear and, um, not, not just a fear of not knowing what I was doing is a fear of failure. I I was so scared that a couple months in, they were just going to be like, Hey man, you, you don't know what you're doing. Like we made a a horrible mistake and, uh, yeah, pack your stuff and head out of here. Luckily for me that, that hasn't been the case. And I had some brilliant people to learn from Bob Lowry and Terry Baisley and, and our owner and, uh, Craig Shoemaker. And and they were all so patient with me and gave me the opportunity that I will never be able to repay them for. Uh, so I, I certainly want to, to thank them and all the great people. I mean, it truly is a family effort now between Ronnie Weir and, you know, Doug Rippinen and just all the people, Steve Lester, our, our COO and Max Steffens. I mean, you get to hear about a little bit of these people in these podcasts we do, but I, it's just such a great atmosphere. And you hear about these brands over the years that it really was a family. You know, Steve Mathis has done a great job doing these oral stories. Like the no fear one was, was awesome. And even some of our competitors, I learned a lot, you know, Fox is, is a brand I have to compete against every single day of my life. And I spend so much of my free time trying to trying to beat them. I'll be honest. It's just, it's competitive, right? I want to be, and I want to help, uh, move fly racing into the biggest and best motorcycle apparel brand on earth period. That that's our goal. I'll be very open with that. So I spend a lot of time thinking, how am I going to help us accomplish that? And when I listen to Steve do podcasts with, you know, the Fox guys, uh, Greg Fox and those guys, I learned a lot and it was, it's, it was truly a family brand when they launched that thing. And, uh, that's, that's where we're at now. You know, we're, we're coming into our prime as a brand for fly racing. And I try to learn the lessons and understand the pitfalls that they faced and, and try to avoid them and how can we do it better. And at the end of the day, really what it all comes down to is how can we give you, right? You guys are listening out there. How can we give you the best product possible? Because you're going to spend your money, your hard-earned money, right? I have a lot of jobs, so I get it. I spend a lot of time working and, and my money just as valuable as yours, right? And I have to spend my money on products too. So how can we give you the best product possible for your money? 
the safest, the best performing, the best looking product. So when you buy it and you're out riding, whether it's off-road or moto or whatever you're doing, riding a bicycle, you know, mountain bike stuff, you listen to this podcast and you wear your stuff and you're like, you know what? My stuff's pretty damn good. It works well. It lasts a long time because there are, there are some brands and I, I even have like little agreements with them. You see Lululemon out there, right? They sponsor Osborne and Dean Wilson and these guys. They've helped me in the past too. Every time I wear one of their products, I'm like, this was worth the money. Like this stuff's great. And that's, that's what I want fly racing to be. I want every single person that, you know, straps a formula helmet on their head to be like, man, this, this was worth the money. This is a premium level product. And I'm, I'm proud to have this on my head. So I'm rambling a little bit with that, but it's, it's something I'm really, really passionate about. And I I want to share that perspective with you guys. It's, it's close to my heart and something that we're not going to shy away from. And, uh, you know, if you, if you guys want to email me questions on that stuff, you want to email me questions on, uh, racing in general, you know, I love answering questions about, you know, the brand I work for, but I like bench racing too. And, and, uh, I do have a few emails with that in mind here and we're going a little long today. Hope you don't mind. That's all right though. If you, you can listen to it more than one shot, the Pulpamec show is five hours. So just to, you know, keep that in mind, we're only at 52 minutes right now. Uh, one email, um, this guy asks, uh, it's Garrett Holtz, no Garrett Sather. I apologize for that. Uh, he asked about Josh Hill racing 250 East and he basically just asking how he's going to do. It's pretty interesting. I don't know, man. Um, you know, Josh is older, right? He, I mean, the guy's won a 450 race that's going back to 2008, but I don't know. He looks so good on his bike, right? He is one of those guys where you watch your ride and you're like, Oh my God, this guy's going to win every race. Generally generally doesn't pan out that way. Um, I don't know that I'm sold on that, but I think he'll add some interest. I think he'll add some excitement. He's going to do some crazy stuff on the track that you're going to be like, wow, I didn't see that coming. No one else tried that rhythm section. So that'll be fun. I just don't know that he's going to be a title contender. I don't personally see that happening. I, I don't think he'll be, be able to beat a guy like Shane McElrath consistently, but, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. It's going to be fun. Nonetheless. Um, I think he adds a, a level of intrigue that we need. We need talking points, especially in the 250 class, because it seems like it gets really top heavy with those guys. So thanks for the, thanks for the question there. Um, another question here. Um, this was, uh, and I kind of mentioned this before, but it was asking about Barsha and it's a little bit timely is, do you think Barsha is going to be able to stick to the front or is he going to fade back into his, uh, the positions we expect from him. And I covered that a little bit earlier, but I I do think you're going to see him fall back into sixth and seventh place. Unfortunately, um, that's not a shot of Barsha. It's just kind of what I, I think is going to happen. So see my emails here. Uh, see what else we have. The last one I'm going to cover, um, that some, there was an interview done with big James Stewart and they, he mentioned that he thought that Mookie was actually more naturally talented than James. Uh, that's crazy. Talk to me. Uh, I'm not buying it. You can sell it. You can sell it however you want it. Big James, but I'm out on that theory. That's, that's not how I see it at all. Big or little James JS seven, whatever you want to call him. Arguably the most talented rider in the history of the sport. I've been watching him ride since he was on a PW 50. He's Florida, just like Adam Cincerillo. So all the local races that I was at, I was on a bigger bike. He was on a little bike 
and he was just crushing the hopes and dreams of everybody around him. He was so damn good, so young. I mean, he was on Kawasaki payroll on a 60. So, you know, 65 as they'd say now. So keep that in mind. I mean, this this was a kid that we knew was coming, just like Ricky Carmichael, just like Cincerillo. I mean, no one could touch them within, you know, and I guess Cooper Webb could maybe with Cincerillo, but no one could touch James Stewart, period. He was the best guy his entire life. No one could beat him. The only person I ever saw really that could beat him ever was Ricky Carmichael. I mean, that's it. There was no one else on earth when James was at his best that could beat him, especially outdoors. Ricky was it. So, yeah, Mookie's a great rider. Don't get me wrong, but Mookie doesn't have a top five in his career. I mean, you're talking about James Stewart has 48 or 49, what, 50 Supercross wins. I forget. I've lost track. So that's kind of a crazy statement to me. doesn't hold water. Um, But, yeah, he's probably trying to pump. Malcolm up a little bit, but, uh, yeah, interesting take from, from the dad, but I don't, I don't really buy it anyway. Uh, this has been industry seating. I appreciate everybody listening. If you played Pulp MX fantasy, you probably had some, uh, a rough go in that last main event with all the DNFs and red flags as I did. But, uh, thanks for playing Pulp MX fantasy. That certainly helps, um, helps the sport, I believe, and it helps out excitement and, uh, we'll see you after Oakland. Um, headed back to Northern California, usually see some great racing up there. The weather can certainly be a factor, um, going into, uh, going back outside again. So we'll see if, if there's any rain in the forecast. And then finally want to say rest in peace to Kobe Bryant, uh, news of that broke just before I recorded this. And, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously I don't know Kobe Bryant or anything, but, um, sports icon, you just feel for his family. He's got a, you know, I believe four daughters. He just had a fourth daughter and man, you just feel for his family. I could not imagine losing a family member like that. And it's going to happen to everybody. Right. I mean, my parents are going to pass one day too. And you dread that every second that you think about it as losing a family member like that. So if you're, uh, if you're so inclined, say a little prayer for his, uh, his wife and daughters. Um, they're the ones that are going to be, be suffering. Of course, his parents too, but you know, these, these four children are going to have to, uh, to live their life without a father, you know, and that's, that's rough. So, um, with that being said, we will, uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks everybody. See you.